It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. Thank you for listening in for episode number 50. Can't believe we've got here. Uh, Launching this podcast last year was a real step into the unknown for me, and I wouldn't still be doing this if it wasn't for all you great people listening. So in this episode, I'm going to answer your questions. So it'll be me answering and you asking, if that makes sense. Uh, Today, the day this podcast goes live, the 16th of May 2016, I'm actually taking another step into the unknown as it's the launch day for my new book, Customer Manipulation, How to Influence Your Customers to Buy More and Why an Ethical Approach Will Always Win. Yes, I know, I've written and published books before, but never like this. Uh, We're going all guns blazing with this one and I have to admit I'm finding it a little nerve-wracking. So it would be great if you could make it a little less nerve-wracking for me. And if you're happy to do that, I would love you to just do one thing for me. Go over to customermanipulation.com and sign up for a free copy. As you sign up, you'll get details of how to get your hands on a totally free copy of the book, courtesy of Amazon. It's available globally and that freebie offer is only available today, tomorrow and Wednesday this week. So make sure you do it really fast and get get in there before the freebie ends. Of course, after that, if you sign up, you'll find out other details and there'll be other bits and pieces of freebies. But if you want the book for free, the whole book for free, then you need to go to customermanipulation.com and sign up today, tomorrow or Wednesday. Right, enough of my promo spot. Uh, Let's get on with the questions. First up, I'm going to take you through the three questions I get asked most often when I tell people about customer manipulation. And these have been quite consistent over the last couple of months as it's been in production. Then I've got, I think it's about five questions that you guys have sent in. Uh, and We picked the most interesting of those. So thank you to everyone who sent in their questions. And any I don't have time to answer here, I will be putting a blog post live about soon. Okay, so let's do the most popular questions about the customer manipulation book. Most asked question, as I'm sure lots of you out there are going, why on earth have you called it that, Chloe? Why is it called customer manipulation? Well, it has a number of reasons. It wasn't originally going to be called customer manipulation. It was originally going to be called the customer master plan, which is the the primary model within the book itself and, of course, fits with e-commerce master plan, etc. But I was having coffee with a friend of mine, Mark Wynn, who just does some really interesting stuff and he's quite a challenging guy. And I told him the title and he just looked at me and went, well, that's really boring. And I was like, all right, okay. Uh, well, what should I call it then? And he said, what should you, what would you call it if you were drunk? If you're explaining it to a friend when you were drunk? I said, well, it's about how to manipulate people into buying more. And he said, well, that's your title then. I was like, it was like a light bulb. I was like, oh my God, that is the title. Of course, it, that phrase isn't actually what the title is because we had to kind of tweak it and make it more explanatory and everything else, which is why we have quite such a long subtitle. So we have customer manipulation as the title and the subtitle explains that it's not all evil, which is or it's not evil at all. And the subtitle is how to influence your customers to buy more and why an ethical approach will always win. I realise that's a very, very, very long subtitle. And it took us ages. It took us almost as long to come up with the subtitle as it did to come up with the title. 
it's been the, the most challenging thing, I think, about the whole production process has been the title. Now, that was kind of the quick answer to why customer manipulation, but a slightly longer answer, which I figure you guys deserve, is also that after we had that, after I had that conversation with Mark, I was then right, okay, I was really nervous about it. I can't possibly call a book that. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's taken me weeks and weeks to get my head around it. And in the process of doing that, I did a number of tests. So um, several of you listening will know about this in that anyone who I met who was kind of target customer, I was saying, oh, I've got this idea for the book title. What do you think? To a man, every single one of them, and a lady, every single one of them said, that's a great title. And they got really excited about it, giggled about it and everything else. The only place I've had negative comments about it is I was asking a group, a Facebook group that I'm part of that's mainly populated by Americans, um, a, you know, what do you think of these book covers to help me work on the design? And I'll be honest, I partly put it up there, not so much for the design, but for the reaction to the title. The majority of them were positive. We got two or three comments who thought it was a really bad idea. But hell, it's out there now. We're going with it. So we shall see what happens. In the world of research as well, I also did uh, ad text tests of the title. So customer manipulation versus customer master plan with corresponding landing pages for email signups on Twitter, Facebook, Google. I do it on somewhere else? No, I think I did it on those on those three. And every time, well, most of the time it was evens between the two for click-through rate, which is the primary metric when you're doing that kind of test. But on Twitter, customer manipulation outperformed massively. So there wasn't a single stat to say, don't use customer manipulation. Oh, LinkedIn, that's the other place we tested it, on LinkedIn ads. Um, but it was the Twitter ads were like, it's yeah, manipulation's much more interesting. So we've been brave, we've gone with it. Uh, the feedback I'm getting from the promo team is it's definitely raising eyebrows and it's hopefully going to be getting us plenty of PR coverage and interviews on podcasts and all that kind of good stuff to promote it. So why customer manipulation? Because it does what it says on the tin. Um, it's a much more attractive title than customer master plan. And I also think that as marketers these days, if we're going to be successful, we have to embrace the fact that we are now manipulating people. That if we want it to work, if we want our business to work, we have to attract them to us ahead of anybody else. We have to fight through all that noise. And in order to do that, we have to deploy manipulation techniques. But the reason the subtitle says why an ethical approach will always win is because if you're not doing it ethically, in these days of social media and the, the speed at which noise travels, um, you're very quickly going to screw everything up in your business if you do it, do lots of unethical things. Okay, so that was the most frequently asked question about the customer manipulation book. The next two questions um, are really about the process of writing a book, which everyone seems really fascinated with. So I figure you guys probably are as well. So here's the two questions. The first one is, how long did it take? Ages. Um, I started the book earlier this year. So it's been about four months in production. And I, as several of you already know, I do track my time. So I use a program called Timesheet Express to track my days uh, five minutes at a time. And I have done for kind of five or six years now. It's quite scary to look back over the over the report. But I, so I can tell you the breakdown I've done on the hours I spent on the book. The creation of the book, so the writing of it, took 75 hours. 
Um, so that's a couple of weeks, basically, of solid writing, the equivalent of. The audiobook, to record that, took 11 hours. Uh, I think the finished product is quite a long way short of 11 hours, but that's how long the recording process took. And the reco- the audiobook's not going to be live as this podcast goes out, so we'll be letting you know once it is, which will be in a couple of weeks' time. So it certainly should be live by the time we get to June. Production, which is the uh, the proofing and uh, all those kind of things, and the dealing with the typesetter, with the copy editor, with the ebook creator, loading things into the various places where they sell, dealing with Amazon and creating author pages and that kind of stuff. So far, that's 33 hours. But as I'm telling you this, we've got the paperback is almost ready to go. The ebook I'm waiting on and the audiobook we're yet to load. So there's probably another 10 hours to go, or certainly another five hours to go on production yet. And then promotion is probably going to outweigh all of those by the time we get to the end of the first week of live, by the time we get to get to Friday. Because so far on the rest, we've spent about, uh, about 120 hours. Well, on promotion... And we've got the pre-live week and the live week to go at the moment. We spent 18 hours, myself and Ellie, within e-commerce master plan on it. So about 18 hours each. So we're about 40 hours as a team. And then the wider team, or the people we outsource to, I shudder to think how many hours they've spent on it. So far, we've got the outreach team, the promos team. Um, we've got the guys who are doing advertising for us. We've got the guys who are running the social media. So there's... I. I Gosh, if we catch up the hours amongst all of us, I have no idea. But our in-house hours, our team hours are going to be far ahead of, of the production. So how long does a book take? Well, to get it to the point where it's available to buy is about a hundred and probably about 130 hours. And then to to actually get people to buy it, hundreds, hundreds of hours, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds So the next question, which leads on quite nicely from that, is what's the most challenging thing about creating a book? Well, the most boring thing by far is the proofreading, and that's just endless. I think I've read the book six or seven times now. um, And yeah, yeah, that's definitely the most boring thing. But the most challenging thing is actually getting people to read it, which is why this launch, this book launch is so different from my previous book launches. We're really going at it with the marketing. Uh, We've built a new built a totally new website for the for the book. We're hopefully going to be giving away a few thousand copies this week. So that all costs us money as well. We've got advertising going on. We've got a big social media push on the go. We've done private Facebook groups, the launch team. If any of the launch team are listening, thank you very much for everything you're doing. I really appreciate it. We've got, um, I'm doing endless podcast interviews, probably 10 or more by the time we get to the point um, the end of the end of the live week. I'm writing guest articles. We're running launch parties in London and Cornwall. We're really, really pushing it, which is what you have to do these days if you want people to write the book, because so many people are writing books. There's so much noise out there in the book space. You've got to do something to lift it. So the most challenging thing, definitely getting people to read it, which is why I started off this podcast by asking you to go to customermanipulation.com and sign up to get your free copy. Because today, tomorrow and Wednesday, it's totally free. And the more of you take that free copy, the more copies I will sell over the coming months. So you really are helping me by getting it for free. Okay, so now we're going to go on to the questions from you guys, not about the book this time, but about 
marketing and e-commerce and strategy and building your business and all the rest of it. We've got some great questions. So I'm going to start off with a question from Christine Nicholson. Hi, Christine. I know you'll be listening and it was absolutely fantastic to see you at IRX last month. And I can't wait to hear more. Um, So Christine's question is, my main interest is getting started with CRM. Which one to choose? Thinking MailChimp to start with as it does the tasks I need it to do, but Salesforce seems to be the most flexible. And she's also looking forward to the book coming out. So the the real question there is, which CRM system do you choose? I mean, I think the first thing to say is we need to define CRM. Technically, CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management which comes in a wide variety of guises, but in e-commerce is most often used to define an email automation tool, which really is a whole other sector of of software, because quite often you'll have a CRM tool that's just about tracking leads and opportunities and is just a database, but doesn't have the email bit built in. But from your question, Christine, I reckon we're talking about the email part. I know you're about to launch your your new business. So um, my advice to you, as it would be to anyone in your situation, would be start with MailChimp. It's very cost effective. It's very powerful system. Then the automation that they're bringing out now is really, really great. It's moved on a lot in the last 12 months. It's really easy to use to get your get your uh, marketing out there. And it's really robust. So there's not really a good reason to start without MailChimp unless you find something critical to your business flow that you can't do. So start with MailChimp and see how far, you know, keep keep using it until it becomes a situation where there's really important things you need to do that you can't do. It also integrates really well with the key e-commerce platforms, which makes it really nice, nice to use. In terms of going on something like Salesforce or you know Infusionsoft that I use or Bronto or Dotmailer, these are kind of the heavyweight tools. If you're mailing tens of thousands of people, and so hence it's worth going to those levels, then take a look at those and start you know really investing in your email. But for a startup, Mailchimp's really good. I'd start with Mailchimp and spend your time and effort on evaluating systems on something else, and just get the Mailchimp working for you. So I hope that's helpful. Our next question is from the lovely Rob Boyle, who's been listening to the podcast right since we started last June, or almost almost 12 months in now. Um, and Rob's asking the following question. Our company sells domestic appliance spares, so oven elements, washing machine parts, etc. When a customer buys a part, then their problem is solved, so they don't come back. Our customer return rate is only 15%. How is the best way to keep our company in their minds so the next time they need a spare part or replacement, they know where to come without starting the whole search process again? And worst case, they find one of our competitors before they find us. He also adds, I didn't know whether to add something in the parcel or keep it just to email, etc. So interested in your thoughts. Well, this is a topic very close to my heart and it is very much covered in the new book in Customer Manipulation where uh, stages four and five are all about getting more orders from your existing customers. But you guys want an answer now. You don't want an answer once you've flipped through to, to uh, stages four and five in those free ebooks you're downloading. So um, let me let me explain the answer right now. The first thing you want to do is have a post-purchase sequence. And this should include both things in the parcel and email, 
content. In terms of the parcel, I would definitely have something that explains that you do more than just the thing they've bought from you. Because often in those problem resolution situations, someone will be like, right, washing machine's broken, washing machine's broken, washing machine's broken. And they don't realise that you do things for hoovers and, sorry, I should say vacuum cleaners, shouldn't I? For vacuum cleaners and for dishwashers and other things as well. So make sure you put a catalogue in there to make them go, oh gosh, they do all these things too. And that might actually spark a, oh, I've been meaning to fix the dishwasher for ages. I'll do that now. So make sure you've got a catalogue or a flyer or something going into that parcel to explain the breadth of what you do. Also, I'd be putting in there some kind of freebie um, that they're going to keep and that's going to hang around the house. So something cheap and easy to post could be a coaster, um, a pen, a notepad, you know, something which is going to be usable, not too heavy to post and that really just keeps your branding nice and front and centre. Given you're in the world of um, appliances, I'd be tempted to try something like maybe a maybe a, a little whiteboard that magnetically sticks onto your fridge or even just a just a straightforward fridge magnet. On the email side, the role of the email is slightly different. It's to make sure that they had a good experience with you. So you want to and, and sorry, not just, just a good experience, but to leave them thinking you are the go to people when they have an appliance problem. So you want to make sure that that email directs them to the tools that will help them solve their problem you know so if you've got an installation or how to change etc videos and guides that it's going through to there or you know um, if you've got anything about uh, breakage uh, avoidance anything around those you know in general maintenance make sure you're sending out those kind of emails over maybe a couple of weeks and that you're potentially telling them about maybe other common issues with that type of product and those kind of things. So really great quality content out to them to make sure that they're interested. In terms of other marketing to be doing, and obviously you want to keep them in your email list, so you'll be sending interesting, useful emails out there. The other thing, you know, where you said in your question about... um, make sure they come back to us without starting the whole search process again and worse they find one of our competitors before they find us now first off consumers tend to start any problem with um with starting off in the search so you you can't really you're not going to stop them from searching for the answer but there's things you can do to make sure you're at the top of the search process the number one of those would be creating a remarketing list of everyone who's ever been to your website and then on, this is on Google AdWords and then using a tactic called RLSA, which is remarketing list for search advertising to bid on really big terms, big keywords, big key phrases, but only to those people who've previously been to your brand, so the people who've had a positive experience with you in the past. You could do it purely to your buyers if you wanted to. Um, and that would be to bid on things like broken washing machine how do I fix my my vacuum and those kind of things, which are probably, I'm guessing, too expensive to bid on in the normal run-of-the-mill things or certainly too expensive to bid on and get a high position. But if you bid on them in front of people who preview, who know about your brand, had a good experience with it, then it's going to be a lot cheaper and you're going to get be much more likely to get the, uh, the conversion coming through. All right, so that was Rob's question. Our next question is from Janine Mays. Um, Janine is a jewellery designer and Janine's question is how important is investment in web design 
If you have a working e-commerce site on a self-hosted WordPress platform with a WooCommerce plugin, which is already achieving a few sales, but not sure about the whole idea of a redesign, do you think I could find someone to work with me on improving what I have or better to invest in a total redesign? There's a big old question. Um, for those of you who don't know already, Woo- WooCommerce is the most commonly commonly used e-commerce platform in the world. It's installed on more websites than any other. Um, and it's basically the e-commerce extension to WordPress. And it's, it's a really powerful, powerful platform, which is why it's so popular. Now, the first thing I'd say about your question is, yes, it's very important to invest in web design, but web design covers a world of different things. Because when we're doing and dealing with web design, we're looking to achieve a number of ends, really. Well, we're trying to make sure the customer buys more, obviously, but we're trying to get across a number of different things and pull a number of different levers to encourage them to do that purchase. The one I think you're probably talking about is about branding. And it's really important that your website conveys the right kind of brand message. So it looks like, in your case, a site being run by a jewellery designer. You know, that's going to look very different to uh, to Rob's site selling appliances, sorry, pl- elements to fix appliances. So there's the branding element of web design, and that can be really, really hard to work out on your own if you're not a designer. Having worked with many amazing designers over the years, you know, the way they can turn, mm, it looks a bit, it looks a bit wrong <laughs> to somehow they make the spacing slightly different. All of a sudden it's like, wow. Oh, so it's definitely investing in that kind of kind of um, kind of web design. However, you can pour an awful lot of money away on that without actually getting much of an improvement in terms of sales. Now, I know your business is quite new, so I would the other things that it's important about in web design are going to be probably more pertinent to you at this time. So we have functionality and customer service. So can they find what they want? Do they know how to buy? That is technically part of web design. Um, it's going to be something which is possibly going to be more about tweaking, more about changing the words here and there. Um, at Internet Retailing Expo, uh, the guy from laterooms.com was, uh, no, not late rooms, sorry, Eurostar, was saying that they increased conversion by 3.7% simply by stating their USPs in the checkout process. So that's kind of a text change. That's not a massive design change. So what you, you kind of need to do from the functionality and customer service front is to find out what real people are doing on your website and getting stuck there. You can learn a certain amount from Google Analytics, but you probably want to get a few people going through or, or video a few people using your website using maybe maybe one of the lovely tools like user testing or what do users do. Both of those are websites. Basically, you go on, you pay them $100 and they'll send you back some videos and audio of people trying to use your website. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, a friend of mine's recently done this and they're going to remain nameless, but they sent this back to you in an email. I think this is the most wonderful quote for the challenges of web design. Uh, they said, generally it appears that people are particularly stupid and can't seem to follow the logical order you set up for them. That is why you have to do user testing. You can look at the site all you like. I can look at the site all you like, but in the end, you're going to need to find out what the actual consumers are doing. Although I'm saying that a great web designer, um, and you know, consultants like myself, we we have a better eye than most for these things because we've dealt with so many of them and been involved in so much testing. But at the end of the day, you do have to test. The other side of web design that you want to be taking a look at is manipulation tactics. 
So things like, and these are all outlined in the book, but things like having customer reviews all over the place, security signs, um, email signups and, and other bits and pieces. There's kind of endless ones of those and they're kind of the really obvious stuff to do to improve your conversion rates. So web design covers an awful lot of things and you you definitely want to, to be investing in web design at this point, I wouldn't be investing in a total redesign. I'd be looking at improving what you already have. However, given that you're on WordPress, I will say that the key to WordPress I've found, because all my websites are built on WordPress, is that it's about getting a decent theme. So on WordPress, you can change the look of, look of your website in the click of, click of your fingers by installing a different theme. It works very much like the same way as you install different plugins, only it overwrites how the site looks. I only use themes created on the Genesis platform, which is superb. They're from the guys um, at Studio Press. Just really awesome themes. They're high end. Um, you can, and they do cost cost a couple hundred dollars to buy, but it's well worth it. So my three websites: ecommercemasterplan.com, chloethomas.com, and customermanipulation.com all run on pretty much bog standard. Um, themes. So the new one, customermanipulation.com, which hopefully all of you are going to be going and having a look at and signing up to. Um, that took, I got my, my web guy to put, put all the techie stuff in place for me and then to make it look like it does, because it all had all, you know, lorem ipsum type stuff in it, to make it look like it does now probably took me only half a day of just tweaking and putting the right text in. So you can see how powerful a, a good theme is. And the other joy of themes is that across those three websites combined, all the graphical elements on there and, you know, a bit of techie time to make it really work how I want it to, I've probably spent less than a thousand pounds on the three combined. Um, maybe you're all thinking, and it shows. Um, I don't think it does. I think they look good. But if, if there's anything about the web, my websites that you particularly hate, um, please do let me know because it's always good to get that feedback as I've just been outlining. So in answer to your to your question, Janine, investment in web design is really important, but you want to be investing in the right areas. So do a little bit of user testing, have a little look at some of those manipulation tactics, and I think you'll quite quickly start to see some improvements. Next up, we have a question from one of our previous podcast guests, Adam Purser of Classic Sailing. And Adam's first question is, have you ever had a video on Facebook reach 136,864 people, get 1,167 shares, 4,612 likes, 46,156 views, and get 6,558 reactions? Well done, Adam. Congratulations. We all know that you're great at Facebook um, posts. So I'll put a link to that as a special little bonus for everyone listening into the show notes that, that are at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 50. But now now we've all been humbled by Adam's crazy Facebook stats. Um, let's actually go on to uh, to his real question, which is, any recommendations to help in setting up an online course to sell via our own and affiliate websites using a brand new website? So this is something which I'm seeing more and more e-commerce businesses getting into is either selling an online course or providing online course content that people can sign up for. It only obviously only works in certain niches, but it can be really, really powerful. And the good news is that the delivery software, the course delivery software market has really evolved over recent years. 
there are now hundreds of options out there. So I'm not going to recommend any particular uh, software to you, Adam, here. I'm more going to say the things I think you should be worrying or should be considering in making the decision. So think about whether you want, how you want to take the money. Are you going to take the money using the delivery software or are you going to take the money elsewhere and then give people the login? And how that sequence of events is going to happen because you don't want there to be anything manual in there really. Um, also consider, do you do you want to be able to provide upsells within the course? Quite often you'll find you log, you, you know, you buy one course and then you get cross-sold into another course or upsold into another course. And is that functionality there within the the course delivery software you're you're purchasing integrations obviously important will it integrate with your email system how are you going to keep people people using the course does it integrate with your payment systems etc what's the user experience life like is it delivery software that you would like to use or is it clunky and hard to navigate and um, the other good news and this is a tip i give everybody who's talking about course delivery software is you kind of have two choices. Either you're going to get some software that will integrate into your existing platform. Um, a lot integrate into WordPress, as we've already mentioned. Um, but you also get a lot that are their own website, all of their own. So they have their own URL and you it might be a, it's a course delivery software, but essentially it's a totally separate website where anyone who accesses that website has to log on before they can do anything. Um, an example of that is the e-commerce master plan academy site, which is where all our um, downloads and things sit for you guys. So that's a bit of a quick question, on a quick answer rather, to your question there, Adam. Now we're on to our last question, which is from Dean Goodwin. And Dean is asking, with so many things to consider in e-commerce, PPC, affiliate marketing, SEO, email, social, remarketing, conversion rate optimization, mobile, marketplaces, etc. If you were advising a small in-house team, which areas would you focus on in-house and which would you outsource and which would you put on the back burner? Well, this is a problem I hear a lot of the time. And the solution to this problem, the what should we be doing? What should we be outsourcing? What should we be doing ourselves? What should we not be at all? Is the primary driver behind my new book, Customer Manipulation, because it presents a model to help you work out what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing now and in the future. As a general rule of thumb, um, the stuff you should be doing in-house is things your team have the skills in, things you're testing for the first time, so giving it a quick go-to, and things you can do better than anyone else. And that last bit varies from business to business. You know, if you're, yeah, it's, it, that tends to be kind of content and social media. And sometimes you, you're better at it in-house than outsourced. And in some areas, you'll be better outsourcing it than keeping it in-house. So that bit does kind of vary. Um, in terms of what you should outsource, elements where it's a totally different skill to what you've got or a skill that you only learn over months and months of doing the task. So, uh, Google AdWords would be a case in point there uh, and creating off the page ads to go into the mag into magazines would be another such example. Or um, other resources. So you would also outsource things where other resources are really hard to build in-house. So if you're doing kind of a blogger liaison piece, that can often be worth outsourcing because you don't have the, have the list or the relationship. So like PR is generally good to outsource because the PR person already has an existing relationship with the journalist and the magazines where you want coverage. Looking at your list, Dean, um, what, here's what I do in-house and outsourced 
very quickly um, and why I'd do that. So pay-per-click on Google AdWords, I would outsource it because it is a an incredibly challenging platform. It's really tricky and there's a lot of knowledge that an agency will have and will bring to the table that, that it's going to cost take you months and months and months to learn if you ever do and it's going to cost you a lot of money in the meantime. So you get better results faster if you outsource. Pay-per-click on Facebook, I would test that in-house and potentially keep it in-house if, if you're enjoying it, if you're finding the skill set works. It's a really intuitive method, um, but I'd make sure that you're also tapped into some some way of learning what's happening, what's new and upcoming on Facebook if you're going to do that in-house. But there are some great people you can outsource it to as well. So here at e-commerce Masterplan, we do a few bits in-house, but the majority of our Facebook advertising we do outsource, partly because we have other things to do in-house, which no one else can do but us. So I can't outsource the writing of white papers uh, to someone else because I'm being paid to do that. But I can outsource the Facebook advertising to someone who's probably better at it than I am on the day-to-day. Affiliate marketing then, um, that I would outsource if you're going to take it seriously and really look to grow it because affiliate marketing is kind of similar skill set to PR. You have to have the relationships with the different affiliates to really make it work. And even with the big guys like voucher codes and and the uh, the cashback website, you need a good relationship. And the better relationship, the more likely you are to get high placement, good traffic levels and good sales. Hence, if you're using an affiliate agency who've got great um, links to those companies, you'll do better. So affiliate marketing to a specialist affiliate marketing agency. Search engine optimization really depends on what you're doing. Link building, I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. Uh, Content generation, you're probably better off doing in-house. But for the techie stuff, I would definitely go to an outsourced agency because they should be totally up to speed with what's working and what isn't at the moment. Email marketing, I do in-house because you want to be really reactive and then you can make sure it's always on brand and with the right types of messaging. Social media, it's a 50-50 one. It depends on your marketplace, on your skills in-house, time and various other things. Remarketing, dabble in it on Facebook, the rest of it outsource, kind of the Google AdWords um, argument there as well. Conversion rate optimization, as I said in one of my previous answers, there's a certain amount of that you can do yourself. Um, so I'd start off with that. But it's, you know, if you've got major conversion issues, then outsource it. There are some fantastic conversion rate optimization agencies out there. There's also some fantastic conversion rate optimization software you can get your hands on as well. Um, mobile. Oh, well, that's a world of pain. Um, <laughs> treat it like you would a website. So um, probably one to outsource marketplaces. I think because you have to trade those, you want to do that internally, but you want to get some of that third-party software that makes uh, listing really easy. So, you know, the channel advisor type software or the Lengo software. Uh, your The last bit of your question was about what to put on the back burner. Well, without knowing more about what you're up to, I really can't say what to put on the back burner, but I think it's really important to prioritise and decide what's important, what's not important. And that's what customer manipulation is all about. So, Master Plan World, thank you so much for being part of my book launch and listening in today. Customer manipulation, how to influence your customers to buy more and why an ethical approach will always win is now very much available for you all. If you sign up at customermanipulation.com today, tomorrow or Wednesday, you'll get a free copy. I hope you've enjoyed our Q&A 
episode. Have a great week and keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.